morning. You know, as I um, sing that song, what an amazing song, amazing love, an amazing king that we serve, an honor and a privilege to worship him. And so when we come together as a church, don't take it for granted. It's an honor. We get to worship the king together as a church family, and that's, a, that's an incredible thing. There's a lot going to happen in our church next couple years. And uh, you keep hearing about it. Last week, this week, and we're saying May 5th, May 5th, mark it on your calendar, be here. Uh, you're going to hear some important information about the future of our church, the direction that we believe God's calling True North to go. We want to share that with you, and we're excited to share that with you. Um, I, I felt it's important that we understand then what church is, right? I mean, if we are as a church going somewhere, who are we and where are we going? And and so over this past week and the next three weeks, we're a little series here called, appropriately named, The Church. Why not, right? I know, I'm so creative. Yeah, right, okay. We're going to talk about the church, and we just picked a bunch of C's uh, to use it. And uh, this week we're talking about being consecrated. And, and some of you are like, ooh, isn't that a bad thing? Is there medicine for that, right? And it's, no, consecrated, okay? Um, and that word alone is an incredible word that we have no clue what it means. And we're going to talk about that today. And I want you to know what that means. I want you to understand where God's called us to be as a church family. And uh, the church is, we're, this is what we are. We're a body of common believers. We are not just a building, brick and mortar. Um, we are a group of people who say, hey, we've got something in common here. And we are celebrating the fact that we get to worship a one and true only God. And that's pretty special. So last week we focused on why the church is important. We looked at the early church in Acts, discovering several things about the early church. And uh, they, they really stood out. And as a matter of fact, people preach on it all the time. Books are written on it. It seems that these four things are what everybody talks about. And the early church basically was a group of people who embraced the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And uh, God's Spirit had been poured on them. They had been forgiven. They were changed. And now they were going to go change the world. And, uh, but here's the thing. This is what they did not do. They did not receive God's love and His Spirit and become changed and then go live life on their own. They didn't say, well, I can just skip out and miss everything and every now and then show up and be a part of something. It's like, no, Christianity wasn't meant to be done alone. It was meant to be done together. So these early believers made a profession of faith and they decided they were going to seek to live the Christian life together. And here's four things that we talked about, and we'll hit them real quick, okay? So just re repeat after me. Biblical teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to biblical teaching. That was one sign of the early church. Here's the second thing. Fellowship. That was the second thing. Fellowship is gathering together. It's common participation in God. Tonight, the group of ladies are going to be a thing called East. That's going to be a time of fellowship. They're coming together in common participation there may be some biblical teaching going on. There may be some devotion to prayer going on. There may be some sharing of a meal together going on at East. They're going to be acting out in somewhat the early church. That's pretty cool. Okay? Here's the third thing, breaking of bread. Let's try it again, breaking of bread, which I just mentioned. They're coming together for a meal. That could be the Lord's Supper. It could be just a simple meal shared together. It was both used together in the early church. Here's the last one. Repeat after me, devoted to prayer. There we go. That's, that's, we, I think we all know what that is. Fully committed to seeking God in all that we do and say. 
And uh, to say that the, the, that was not a part of that church was a, is a gross understatement. They were very devoted to prayer. So the early church was marked by those four things. Again, biblical teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and devotion to prayer. That's what they were, and it was an exciting thing to be a part of. It's very foundational for who they were and what they did. Everything else they did sort of spurred up from that. You know, we talk about a lot of important things that the church does and we say and believe, but I understand that that all came from that foundation that they first set, the biblical teaching, the coming together and, and common participation of fellowship, the sharing of meal and food together and the Lord's Supper and that celebration, and then the devotion to prayer. That's very foundational for a church. Okay? From there, other great things happen. As we read the book of Acts, we can almost, I want to say, become a little depressed because we look at that first church in Acts and we're like, I wish we were like that. I wish we were more devoted. I wish we were like pumped and excited and celebrating. Well, we are sometimes, but not all the time. And I think when we look at the early church, we sit there and we think this, this big grand picture of a perfect church, everybody was fired up and pumped up and smiling and celebrating and falling on their knees and lifting their hands. And, and it was like, oh, if I could have just been there. So we, we read about that, and we forget that, you know what? That was God's mission for that church at that time. God's given us a similar mission, but we're going to be a little bit different in how we do this in our time. He's got purpose for us. It's just going to look a little different to them. And here's the other thing we need to remember as we read through almost any letter in the New Testament, we're going to quickly see that those early Christians, the first church, messed up a lot too as they spread out and those churches moved out they struggled with certain sins so as you read a lot of the new testament letters that paul wrote and peter wrote you're going to find out you know what this letter's to this church because i want to address a certain issue with you okay i see you're struggling with this so let me address this issue they weren't perfect they weren't perfect this we know the early church was a community set apart for god's purpose and the world took notice. The world looked at that early church and said, you are different. It says in Acts 2.43 that uh, all came upon every soul. People stood back like, wow, this is unique. What is going on? This group of believers was noticeably different from the outside world and their obedience and God's presence among them caused them to stand out. And that's an incredible thing. Now, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says this. And I want you to repeat after me. Okay, here we go. But now, you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God, who chose you, is holy. I'm going to read this again. You don't have to repeat after me, but listen. But now, you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God, who chose you, is holy. Scriptures say, be holy because God is holy. That is a command to us. It wasn't just to who Peter was writing at that time, but to all of us. But now, you must be holy in what? Everything. Everything we do must be holy. Just as God, who chose us, is holy. See, this group of people, when they first started this early church, they were, they were consecrated. They were holy. They were set apart. Let me ask you this question. Are we? Are we holy? Are we set apart? 
are we different from the rest of this world? You know, I think about, you know, the way the rest of this world looks. And we look in the magazines, we look in media, we look in TV, you look at your workplace, you look around, and we have to ask ourselves, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, are we different than what we are in? Are we different than this world? Do we look like citizens of God's kingdom? Are we known for what we believe because our beliefs are lived out through our actions? I'm telling you, it's easy to blend in with the world, isn't it? It's easy to do what everybody else is doing. Um, I, this past week, I've had a couple um, situations where it's sort of like, you know what, I, I think I need to stand up. And I don't know if, if I'm doing the right thing or not, but I really thought I was. And I was sort of uh, disturbed by some books that were being read in our school by our students. Uh, the fact that certain words are being used, words that you wouldn't, you'd hear in an R-rated movie. The profanity and the vulgarity of the words in this book, I'm sitting there going, and, and we're reading this book, why? In education purpose? Help me understand this. And so I emailed the teacher and just, just asked, you know, please explain to me why these words are being used. And I don't understand that, that in education you need to do this. And, and so it was a good conversation. Um, the second email came back, you know, with an explanation. And it was very wordy. It was very well said. But then it got to the point and says, but this is reality. Everybody does this. Everybody swears. And, and I replied back. And I said, I, I get that. And everybody is violent too, but that doesn't mean I can go into class and hit people. And I understand that people look at nude pictures, but it doesn't mean we should be showing our kids those pictures. I, I understand that. I understand that's reality. But there's no place for this in education. And you know, so then another reply, and I said, oh, okay, it's time just to go meet. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes translation gets lost in communication. And instead of texting and Facebooking and emailing that, sometimes you just pick up the phone. Hey, can I meet with you? And we had a great conversation together. And, and, but my concern to the teacher was this, is I understand this is where the world is, but it's not just about my son. It's about all these kids. It's about who we are as believers, and I feel I need to say something. And I shared a story, and I don't know how appropriate this story was to the teacher, but I shared this story with this teacher about a man who came home one night with his kids. And uh, he came home to his kids, and the kids were like, Dad, we've got an incredible movie we want to watch tonight. It's going to be a great movie, and we're going to have fun. And Dad's like, all right, great. What kind of movie is it? Well, it's an action movie, Dad. All right, I like action movies. Good. I can't wait to watch this. Tell me a little bit about the movie. Well, well Dad... I hate to say it, but there's actually in this movie, there's, there's a little bit of swearing that goes on, and there's, there's a little bit of nudity, and there's a little bit of violence, and, but it's just a little bit, Dad. It's not a big deal. Oh, oh, okay. All right, well, I'm going to get snacks around, and you guys go ahead and get the movie ready and get, you know, your chores done. And so the dad went out into the kitchen, got the popcorn popping, got the snacks around, went out into the backyard, and uh, scooped up a, a, a dog dropping and took it into the house and mixed it in with a brownie mix and made brownies for the kids. Now, as he did this, he got it all done. I know it's gross. None of you will ever eat brownies again. But anyway, as he got ready for the movie then, and the kids said, all right, kids, you ready to watch the movie? He said, absolutely, yeah, yeah, we're ready to watch. It's good. I made some special snacks. I, oh, way to go, Dad. And uh, I just want to let you know, tonight I made my special brownie mix. Really? What, what, what's, what's so special about it? What's well, got special ingredients? Oh, really? Like, well, well it's obviously got the brownie mix and some egg and, and a little bit of oil and that, and then uh, some dog droppings in it. And they're like, what? That is so gross, Dad. Well, 
I didn't think you would mind because it was just a little bit of egg and a little bit of oil and a little bit of dog droppings. It's sort of like your movie, just a little bit of those ingredients. I figured it wouldn't matter. And the kid's like, I get it. Okay. So maybe a little bit does matter, right? Now, I actually, you know, I, still, I shared that story with the teacher. What I didn't share with her was that about 12 years ago, I did the same thing with the youth group that I was youth pastor. And uh, my wife helped me make some brownies with the same kind of special brownie mix. And um, we didn't have a pet, so I actually had to go find somebody that I knew that had a dog. And uh, so we made it, and I took it to youth group, and I had this big pan of brownies. And I said, we're going to have a brownie eating contest. Who's in? All these hands fly up. Pick two girls, pick two guys that came up, put the brownies on the plates. And I said, now before you dig in, let me tell you the story. And I shared the story that I shared with you with them. How many of you still want to eat these brownies? And right away, the girl's like, oh, you know, they're, they're down. And so we're, and the guys did something different. I'm going to end the story right there, okay? I uh, didn't want a lawsuit or anything like that. But uh, let's just say they decided to participate. I had to grab a tray of brownies, throw them in the trash, and try to convince them not to eat anymore. Um, but it's amazing. Yeah, I know. But it's amazing, even though, um, as the story goes, they look back now and we laugh at it. At the time, it wasn't so funny. Um, but in that moment, I'm sitting there thinking, it's just a little bit, right? What, what does it matter if my life has a little bit of this and a little bit of that in it, right? After I heard that story, I look back at that story now, and I think, a little bit really does matter. And then I look at, you know, in our schools, and I'm sitting there saying, so even though you're saying it's okay to have just that little bit in there, please don't feed my kids those brownies, is what I asked her. And then, um, kind of, it was a good conversation. It really was. But I have to understand that I step back and I have to look at the other things going on, not just in our community, but across the area. In Northwest Ohio, working with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, we're in, we're in a lot of schools. We're in 60 schools. And I had recently had a school that basically said they're, they were not going to let the high school huddle participate anymore. And um, we're trying to figure out why. According to our legal rights, as long as we're meeting during a non-academic hour during, and the students are leading, we can do this. Well, the schools make them jump through all kinds of hoops now. Well, you're going to have to write out a proposal as to why you should be able to do this. And da, 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 da. And it's like, and it was frustrating to hear that, that there's such a pushback. But then I thought about all of this, okay? Should this surprise us? No. It, it frustrates us, sometimes surprises, but it really shouldn't because here's the thing. We live in an unholy world, and God's called us to be holy. So anytime we show up with what we believe is true, which is true, into an unholy situation, is there going to be pushback? Yes. Is there going to be frustration and discussion and disappointment? Yes. Because when you live for God, as a holy person is called to live, we're going to face situations that are not going to match up. Now, I, like I said, those little things seem to be that are destructive are tolerated and little things that are positive are forbidden and it gets very frustrating. And I'm thinking that living for God is not going to get easier. It isn't. Sometimes you get sort of uh, juked into thinking, well, if I give my life to Jesus, it's all rosy and it's all good. And I'm telling you, when you figure out that it's time to live for Jesus, it gets tough. Because now you have to stand in a way that honors God. 
Like it's easy to go with the flow of this world. We're told to be completely different from the world. And we need to be careful that we don't allow little things into our life that infiltrate our life that will cause us then to sort of look just like the rest of the world because we've now been contaminated from who we are in Christ. Now, trust me in this. Alone, it is very difficult to stand. Together, it's easier to stand for Christ. That's why when God said, I've got a plan here, part of that was to develop the church. The church was to come together as a group of people that together says, together we are consecrated, together we are holy, together we will stand for what is right and live in a world that is unholy. Now, let's imagine this. Let's imagine you walk into a job interview. Each part of your interview has gone well to this point in time. This is a job you've wanted for a long time. You're finally getting in it. You're at your last stage. In front of you is the owner of the business, okay, the owner of the company. They're going to have the last say. And as you're sitting there and have a little bit of small talk, the owner looks at you with an unexpected question and says this to you. If you were to describe yourself in five simple words, what would those words be? This would be a good exercise for you to do sometime, okay? If you were to describe yourself in five simple words, what would those words be? Summarize your life, your character, your accomplishments in five words. And now, as you're sitting there, your mind's probably racing as it is right now. What words would I use? What would I, what would I do? Well, as you're doing that, the owner reaches up to his desk, and he's got a stack of index cards. He starts shuffling through them. And you're thinking, what's going on here? And he says, I just want you to, you know, just think of five simple words. Don't be so tough on yourself. I, I just have some words here. We've uh, actually, the HR department went out, and as we were preparing to interview you in your final interview here, we actually contacted family members, your references, former co-workers, people in your life, and asked them the same question, and they gave us five words for you. We're just looking at these words. I'm just wondering if your words are going to match up with these words. Now, as you reflect and you ask yourself, what words would others use to describe you? He slides those cards across in front of you and you pull them up. What are people saying about you? What words have other people used to describe you? Do they match up with what you were thinking? Let me ask you this. Would any of those words on that list of index cards say holy? I'm going to guess probably not because none of us would probably look around and say, I'm holy. Because why? Because we hear people say, oh, what are you, holier than thou? You know, they sort of throw that back in our face. You're holier than me? So we're like, oh, that sounds like bad. So no, I don't want to be holy, right? Um, most people look at the word holy and think that's used for Sunday mornings and missionaries and people called into ministry or saints or, you know, just people not like us. Chuck Colson said this, when we think of holiness, great saints of the, of the past like Francis of Assisi or George Mueller spring to mind or contemporary giants of the faith like Mother Teresa. But holiness is not the private reserve of an elite corps of martyrs, mystics, and Nobel Prize winners. Holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. Do you hear that? Let me repeat that last part. Holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. And let's be honest, in in the minds of guys, let me just, gentlemen, let me just throw this at you. In your list of five cards, did you have holiness in there? I'm guessing for guys, we would probably have something like tough, you know, fearless, risk taker, successful, fun. You know, those are the kind of words, you know, I want to be known like that, right? 
Holy's probably not quite in that, that top five, maybe, to describe ourselves as men. Ladies, what about you? Holiness may be definitely something closer on your mind than it is for us men, but I think for women, you might have put out the, the words like this, you know, beautiful, caring, loving, lovely, compassionate, tender. Uh, maybe those are the words that you would use to describe yourself or want to be described as. To call a little boy or a little girl holy, do you ever think about that? Would, that? would you not get a weird look on their face? You're in kindergarten class. Um, Tom, I just want to show you, you're so holy. Thank you. And then I mean, that boy would probably think, I've heard that word used before, but not this way. You know, and it's probably like, what do you mean, holy? Um, maybe it seem odd because we equate holy with being sober and sad and boring, tight, super religious. It's holy, right? Holiness means to be set apart. And I think about this. Who doesn't want to be known as being set apart from everybody else? If you're an American Idol, you want to be the American Idol. You want to be set apart from everybody else. You want to be the winner. You want to be the, the top singer in the nation. If you're an athlete, you want to be the starter. You want to be set apart. Right? When you go to the Fulton County Fair, you want the blue ribbon. You want the grand champion. You want to be set apart. Think about whatever that may be. Whether you're an artist, an author, you want your work set apart. Whether you're a chef or cook, you want your food set apart from everybody else. You want to have the best rice pudding there is out there, right? Okay? I know where that is, right? Think about this. When you go to the Bible and you see what it means to be holy, what is the Bible then saying about holy in regards to us? Turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Small book in the New Testament. Get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You're going to come to Galatians and then there is Ephesians. Small book. Ephesians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will get one to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. As we read here, let me read, uh, start in verse 3. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Look at verse 4. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Do you hear that? Before God made the world, before anything was created, he already had you in mind. He already had me in mind. And he said about this about us. I'm choosing you. Just like Dan said, I'm choosing all of you to be on my team. God loves us and he chose us, but what did he choose us to be? Holy. I'm choosing you to be holy. I'm choosing you to be set apart from everybody else. What an incredible thing. When you read that scripture, re-read it and read it slowly. He chose you to be set apart. He chose you to be sanctified. He chose you to be consecrated. And you think about this, man, that coach is, I'm picking that player. Uh, I'm picking you to be on his team because I need a good hitter. I'm picking you on his team because I need a good pitcher. I'm picking you to be, you know, in, in, my, in my band because I need a guitar player. I need somebody who can play the trumpet. You know, anybody that comes along and picks somebody to be part of a team, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's sports, whether it's a job, you get picked because you have a gift. You have a role that's going to be played in that business, on that team. Does that make sense? For all of you who are part of something, you're there for a reason. You've got purpose. Moms, you know, for you moms that stay home, you have incredible purpose. 
You have so many things that you do at home with those children. And your number one purpose is to raise a child. Don't ever underestimate that role, that gift. And God says, guess what? When I chose you, I have a purpose for you too. To be holy. See, I'm not on the team just because I can pitch. I'm not on the team just because I can draw. I'm not on the team just because I know how to play a trumpet. I'm on God's team here because he chose me to be holy, to be set apart. That's an incredible role. That's an incredible purpose. Oswald Chambers once said this, The destined end of man is not happiness, it's not health, but holiness. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came to save men because he had created them to be holy. God created us to be holy. So when he saved us, he saved us because he saved us to be holy. And we were failing at that. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Go from Ephesians to Exodus. One end of the book to the other end. Very beginning. Genesis, Exodus. Second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 3. Let me hear you say burning bush. Remember this story? Isn't this a great story? And again, we have no idea. If we've watched TV. We watched the old Ten Commandments where it was just a little bush burning. And then we watched maybe the Bible on the History Channel and it was incredible flame. And it sort of reminds us, you know, we don't know what it looked like, but all we know is it was spectacular. Okay? And look at Exodus chapter 3. When Moses was, a, was tending his flock, it says in verse 2 that suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in a bush. And it says, Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Now look at verse 3, what he says. Amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over and see this. When the Lord saw that he caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the, mo- from the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on what? Holy ground. Holy ground. Let's do this again. Repeat after me. Holy ground. Holy ground. If we've read this story, we've gone through it before, we remember that moment it was holy ground. It's like we remember that moment he's taking off his sandals, and he's stepping on holy ground. Now I think about this, what's holy ground? Did you ever think about that? I mean, did Moses like take some dirt samples and go back to his tent, pick up some dirt samples outside his tent and compare? Let's see, well, yeah, that definitely looks more holy. I mean, what, what did he do? And not to be joking or be funny about this, but really, how do we know it was, it was holy? How did he look at this and say, it's, it's definitely holy? It's, it's something different about this. Now, if Moses would have stepped foot on that ground weeks earlier, would it have been holy? It, what, what if God declared that a different part of the ground was holy? I mean, why did he declare that that ground was holy? The, the root concept for the word holy means separation. Okay? The ground simply became holy because God separated it from all the other ground. Okay, I know, it's, it's, it's not too difficult, right? It was a unique place that God was showing up and saying, I'm separating out this piece of ground right here because I'm here. My presence is here with you. This is separate from anywhere else right now. Now, if God would have showed up 10 feet away to the other side, guess what? 
that ground would have been holy. It means to be separated out where God is showing up. Bruce Wilkinson uses this illustration to sort of help bring out this concept. And he said uh, this in his book. It's a book called Set Apart. He said, imagine after one of the massive feasts that they had at the temple conducted during King Solomon's reign. He said, one of the temple priests comes home to his wife and says, says, honey, sweetheart, I need a new holy knife for the temple, okay? All the knives that we have there are dulled. They're no good anymore to be used at the temple for our sacrifices. Can I take one of ours? And the instant the priest dedicates that knife to the Lord's service, that knife becomes holy. Because holiness describes the separation, okay, of that knife, either it's a plot of ground or a person or any other thing. Holiness requires separation from one thing and separation to another thing. For that knife to become holy, okay, it had to be separated from the rest of the knives in the house. That makes sense, right? The knife was taken out of the drawer, wherever the knives were stored, and it was taken along. It was now separated and removed from its original spot. From there, it's taken to the temple. Now, when we read the Bible, the root word for holy is translated in such terms as I've said multiple times already. Set apart, sanctified, consecrated, separated. Now, here's the thing. Holiness requires division. Okay? Holiness requires division. What did Jesus say? Did I, did I come to bring the family together? Did I come to split the family? Remember reading something about that in the New Testament? Did you ever hear stories about when somebody gives their life to the Lord, they decide to follow Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, people at home aren't happy? Did you ever hear about families arguing over religion? Did you ever hear nations arguing over religion? See, here's the deal. When you separate yourself from one area to God, guess what? You're different now. You're no longer a part of this. There's a division. When you declare that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and your mom and dad at home are not followers of Jesus Christ, there's probably going to be some natural division because we see biblically that's what it's about. Up to that moment, the temple priest took the knife from his home. That knife couldn't become holy because it was still with all the other knives. It wasn't distinct. Okay? But until the Lord set that apart, that spot, it now becomes holy in a different way. Holiness requires withdrawal and disconnection from one spot. And then it needs to be, the other side of holiness is connected to another. Does that make sense? You following me on this one? Holiness then is new people, new practices, new pursuits in life. To be added to your life to replace the old patterns. We abandon the unholy ways and we pursue God's holy way. When you decide to follow Jesus Christ and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are now removed from your old life. You're being taken out. You're being made holy. And you're being made holy to God's new lifestyle and how he calls us to live. And we discover that in the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says this. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Okay, now this is a verse we always use with kids when we talk about uh, dating and, and premarital sex and all those kind of things. They say, look at this verse, okay? It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Run away from that. Run away from that. We, I had a chaplain at Taylor University every year. 
my four years at that, at that university in the spring, and as he, I'm sorry, in the fall, when he welcomed into everybody, he had that talk with all of us. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, is a part of that talk. Students, you've got to run away from that lust, you know, and I'm just, I'm just picturing. If we really did run away, we'd have a cross-country university because we'd be running everywhere because we understand that lust is powerful, right? But see here, I want you to understand this. It says this, instead, Paul says, instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Did you, do you know how we always look at things like, well, if I'm going to have to be holy, okay, if I'm going to be different and a Christian, I've got to say no to everything and live this way, this boring life. Did you, did you hear that scripture? Run from youthful lust. That's the no part. Here's the yes part where we run to. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, peace, love. Enjoy the companionship of those of pure hearts. No to lust. Yes, about six other things. See, we, we get confused sometimes. We think holiness is about living in a world of no. You know what? It's about living in a world of no so that we can live in a world of yes, yes, yes to God. There's so much more. So much more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. We've read this before. Let me read it again. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. I want to come back to that. We started the sermon this way. I want to sort of come back to this again because that's the command to us, the church. It's so hard to be holy by myself. It's so hard to stand up. But you know what? When God said, I've got a purpose for you to be holy, I want you to be holy. My command is for you to be holy. So like that knife, wherever it went, we are pulled out of one thing and we are put into another thing. We are separated out so we be connected to. Now the problem with being holy is that we mess up a lot, right? Look at the person next to you and say, I mess up a lot. Go ahead. Confession time. Nobody be looking at you smiling and saying, you sure do. No, okay. We do. Let's, let's honestly admit we all mess up. We mess up a lot. Matter of fact, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you. I love this verse. Nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and he's not going to listen anymore. We're told in Isaiah that, you know what? It's not that God can't save you. It's not that he can't hear you. You want to know why you got to disconnect with God right now? Because you're messing up a lot. Our sins separate us from God. When we first place our faith in God, we pray asking God to forgive us of our sins and to enter into our life and to be the God of our life. And guess what? He does that. He forgives us. He bends down with that ear and he hears us. He reaches down with his arms and he saves us. And we now have a new relationship with him. His spirit comes upon us. His salvation makes us holy. And we're now taken from a state of being unholy. We're now separated out. But here's the deal. This is where we always stop. There's more. There's more. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says this. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. See, now we've been rescued. He has saved us. We've been forgiven. But now let's continue the journey of continuing to try to be holy for God. 
It isn't a one thing. Sometimes when we look at the word holiness, it can be rather confusing. It's sort of like, I don't know if you ever pulled out a box of strings or something, and you have this one big tangled mess, and you're like, oh, where's the scissors, right? Instead of trying to unknot everything, it's just easier to cut, right? Or it's easier just to put it back in there and go buy some new stuff. And sometimes when you look at the word holy and holiness, what it means, it can get confusing. It's like, let's just move on to something else. Cut it and find something else to talk about, right? But we can't do that. See, salvation grants us eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't grant us sinless perfection for down the road. What we discover in God's Word is that after we experience salvation in that holy moment, we now experience a new journey with Christ of living a holy life, a sanctified life, a consecrated life, a life separate apart from the way we used to live, from the temptations and the things that we struggle with. God said, no, you're holy. You're set apart from that. That's over there. You're going this way. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. If you read Ephesians, you were just a few pages away from Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul shares what it means to live a new life in Christ. And he talks about what we need to put off and what we need to put on. It's that part of that knife of saying, okay, I'm going to separate myself from this. I'm putting it off because I'm going to put on something new. And Colossians 3 makes it very clear how to do this. Colossians 3, chapter 1. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, since you've now confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, okay, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at God's right hand in a place of honor and power. Look at verse 2. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't think only about things down here on earth. See, when you, when you died, I'm sorry, for, when, for you died when Christ died, your real life is hidden with Christ in God, verse 4. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in his glory. And we're sitting there going, okay, okay, keep going, Paul, help me out here. He says, so do me a favor. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life. That's idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was part of this world, before we were separated out, right? Verse 8, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you stripped off your old evil nature and its wicked deeds. So in those verses here, what do we hear? We hear Paul saying, listen, you used to be that way, but you're holy now. You're set apart. You're out of there. So what are we set apart to? Remember, it needs to be separation from, and then it needs connection to. Look at verse 10. In its place, you've clothed yourselves with a brand new nature that's continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. In this new life, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Verse 12, since God chose you to be holy people, look at the person next to you and say, God chose you to be holy. Tell them. Absolutely. If you didn't tell that person next to you, please do it next time. Because God chose everybody in here to be holy. He did. It's his purpose, remember? Listen to this. Since God chose you to be holy, whom he loves, God loves you, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. 
Make allowance for each other's faults. We all mess up. Forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you wear is love. Let me hear you say love. Love is what it says here is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, the church, we are called to live in peace and always be thankful. My friends, we are called to be holy people, set apart, sanctified, consecrated. This is the way it used to be for us. But we're called out of that. We are called to something greater, which means that in life we are probably going to have to stand up in times when it's hard to stand up. We're going to have to say things when nobody else is saying it. When you say, hey, you know what, I, I just want to let you know I can't be a part of that because I honestly believe in my faith and the God I worship. I know I'm not supposed to be doing that. Like, well, nobody else has ever told us that before. That's because nobody else has ever stood up the way they need to stand up when holy people stand up. Shock them. Go for it. Because I am a believer in Jesus Christ, I will not participate in that. Sorry. I still love you, but I'm not going to go there. I still accept you for who you are because God loves you and I love you. I want you to someday know who Jesus Christ is, the Savior, as I know him, but I can't participate in that because I'm called out. I'm separated from that. And it's not a, oh, so you're holier than thou? No, I'm just trying to be holy because God's called me to be holy. And if somebody ever says, well, what are you, holier than thou? Then say, yes, I am trying to be holy. Thank you for recognizing that. Now, holier than you, that's your choice but my choice is to be holy for God. It's not about trying to be better than anybody else. Here's the deal. We've got to be aware of this. Holiness doesn't make us better than others, okay? And, and holiness isn't determined by my decisions and my rules. Well, if I drive a certain vehicle, that makes me holy. Or if I, you know, do these certain rituals, this makes me holy. You know, this is what determines our holiness. God gives us standards for how to live. That's what we determine what is holy and what is not holy. And holiness doesn't equal salvation just because... You know, I'm living a, a holy life. I'm trying to live a holy life. doesn't mean I earn my way into heaven. We've talked about that before. Okay? Being holy means that I'm going to pay attention to the little things in my life. I'm going to grab Philippians 4.8. And I'm going to use that as a filter for my, my life. Finally, my brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pleasing or lovely or excellent or admirable or praiseworthy, think on these things. That's my filter. That's your filter. As a child of God, as who one who one who wants to be holy, we sit there and say, okay, God, I want to be holy, but I'm not sure if this is what you want me to do. Well, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pleasing? Is it lovely? Is it excellent, admirable, or praiseworthy? If it isn't, then it's probably not a holy thing. You probably should stay away from it. If it is, if it is a holy thing, then focus on it. You know, I know the, um, just recently, we, many of you sports fans out there enjoyed the Final Four and Got to witness a lot of fun basketball and, and uh, a lot of great coaches. And there was two coaches. I just want to bring up their names real quick. Rick Pitino of Louisville and Jim Beheim of Syracuse. I want you to understand, these two coaches have 1,000, over 1,575 wins. That's a lot of wins, okay? They've made 48 trips to the NCAA Final Four or the uh, NCAA Tournament. They've made uh, over 11 Final Four appearances, and they have three national titles. That's a lot of victory and success between these two coaches. But you know what? There's two other coaches who are much younger than them. Matter of fact, 35 and 36. One is Brad Stevens of Butler University. The other one's Shaka Smart of VCU. 
those two young coaches, in comparison to Rick Pitino and Jim Beheim, again, these guys are elite, elite coaches. They're the best at what they do, okay? These two younger coaches, they, uh, to put this in perspective, Jim Beheim reached his first final four when he was in his 11th season. And uh, Rick Pitino reached, reached his first final four when he was in his eighth season. Now, Brad Stevens reached his first Final Four in his third and fourth season, and Shaka Smart reached his first Final Four in his second season. These two young coaches, in comparison to these very successful coaches, are going to be replacing them someday. They will be known as the successful coaches. Now, so here's my question. When you find people who are succeeding in life, wherever it is, you want to find out, well, how do I succeed, right? Now, they asked these two coaches, Brad Stevens and Shaka Smart, how do you look at yourself and say, I've reached this point. How have you become successful? And they shared their two coaches' words, uh, their, their discoveries together, and they found three common things. I'm going to share one of them with you, okay? Here's the one thing that they both agreed on. They pay diligent attention to the process of little things little things. Inspiring their team to give consistent effort every day. It's not about the wins and the losses. It's not about the rankings. What did we do today to make ourselves better? They both agreed that's one of their tools to success. So then I started research just a little bit more because again I share with a lot of athletes and I found a baseball player by the name of Ben Zobris. Little high school baseball player, wasn't planning to go play college anywhere. He decided to pay $50 to go to some uh, showcase met a uh, coach from Olivet, Christian coach, who said, I'd like to come play baseball with me. Everybody else had scholarships. Everybody's going off, and he paid 50 bucks to go play baseball in front of a bunch of guys, and the coach spotted him and said, I'll give you a scholarship to come play. Well, fast forward to where he is now in the major leagues playing for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's very successful now. You have to understand, uh, he's, a, he's a strong um, believer in Christ. And they asked him, I love this, Major League asked him, how are you so successful? And he stood up like a child of God should stand and proclaimed his holiness that he's trying to live for God. And this is what he said, I ask myself four questions every day. How can I be a better player today than I was yesterday? Second question he asked is, how can I draw closer to God today than I did yesterday? third thing he asked himself, how can I not become complacent in what I'm doing in life? In other words, how can I slip from being, you know, being an average person? Okay. Fourth one is this, how can I join up with other people who are also seeking the Lord? Okay, this young man's been successful in baseball, but I, I listened to this, I thought, little things. Whether you're talking physical sports, whether you're talking your job, whether you're talking relationships, whether you're talking spiritual, you know where that all comes from? From what God created us to be and being holy from day one. All these things these other people are repeating and, and throughout life comes back to what God challenged us. It's those little things. Being consecrated, being holy means I've separated myself out from this world and I've asked God for forgiveness. I've asked him to clean up the mess in my life. And now that means, God, now that I'm separating myself to you, what little things in my life do I need to clean up? God, what do I need to do today to make me a better follower for you tomorrow? 
God, what can I do today to draw closer to you? God, who am I surrounding myself with, church body, on this journey together of being holy? You follow me here? Worship team, would you please come forward? Every day we ask, how can I grow closer to the Lord? How can I grow closer to the Lord? Every day we should be asking, how can I join up with other people who are really loving and seeking God? And in these small things that I'm doing, I'm going to be pleasing God. Because a lot of times we think it's about doing the big things, right? If I do something big for God, I'll tell you something. How about, how about a couple hundred of us do a bunch of small things for God? Because if we do that every day over and over and over our lives, then we can reflect a holy life that God called us to live. I believe that's what he's called us to live. As we close, I want to read the words of Jesus Christ. Would you please stand with me as I read these words? From the book of John, if you can imagine, last words Jesus has on the night that he's going to be betrayed and arrested. He's with his disciples, and this is his prayer for his disciples. This is his prayer for us. Father, I'm now coming to you. I told these disciples many things while I was with them in this world so they'll be filled with my joy. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they don't belong to this world just as I don't belong to this world. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy. Did you hear that? Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is true. And just as you sent me into this world, I'm sending them into the world. I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus prayed for us that as we're in this world living for him, we would be holy by his truth. He didn't pray that we'd be taken out of here. He prayed for us to be here to make a difference as we live holy lives for him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God. Lord, what an amazing thing that you called out before the world was created. You called out for us that purpose in being holy, to be set apart. That's the church. We're going to look different. We're going to act different because we have been called by you to be separated from all the things that are around us. And Lord, it's not that so we can toot our horns and say, look at me, look how I'm living different. It's to honor you. Lord, it's amazing that a couple thousand years ago how your son Jesus Christ spoke to you in prayer and, and, and prayed for us. A lot of times, Lord, we sit there and think, if I could just get out of here, I'd, you know, I'll be good. But you're saying, no. You prayed that while we're here, while the world hates us, while the world looks at us and makes fun, while the world comes up with all kinds of rules and laws and, and stipulations to make life hard for us, you called and out to your Heavenly Father to give us peace, to give us strength, to give us the truth, to live a holy life. Thank you. Thank you that you've given us your spirit to do that. So Lord, help us to live a holy life. Help us to live a life set apart. Help us to live a life that honors you in all that we say and all that we do. Now, Lord, as we sing to you, may the words that come out of our mouth and out of our heart honor you. May we lift our voice to you. This isn't to us, this is to you. And Lord, if you need to keep working in our heart, Lord, speak to us, and we'll just, we'll just bow our heads and pray where we're at. Keep working on our hearts, Lord, because I know you're not done with us.
We love you, Lord. We will worship you now. In the name we pray. Amen.